Hey folks, Andy Patton here and the Transfer Portal folks. It is humming right along. Today we're going to discuss Gonzaga's first departures of the offseason, one on both the men's and women's side, before looking at some names the Zags have reached out to already in the portal and finishing up with a preview of Gonzaga's upcoming three-game homestand against Pepperdine on the baseball side, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another season of Gonzaga athletics. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. I also want to thank all of you who make this podcast your first listen every day. And to those of you who have checked the show out on YouTube, if you have not yet done so, very simple. Just go to youtube.com, search Locked On Zags, hit that subscribe button. We got a lot of playlists. Everything is organized very neatly for you to go through all the guest appearances, go through all the season and review episodes as we get going on with those, all the mailbag episodes, whatever you want. It's all organized there for you. So check it out on YouTube if you haven't already. All right, today's episode is a bit of a hodgepodge of multiple different things. Personally, my favorite types of episodes, I like being able to cover multiple topics uh, in one single easy-to-digest episode like this. So we're going to start out talking about a couple of transfers that we've seen or a couple of roster movements that we've seen already from Gonzaga. We're going to talk about the transfer portal in the second segment. Lots of movement there, what it means for Gonzaga, who they're targeting, what those players are saying, all of that. And then we're going to talk baseball in the third segment. So we're going to start... Today, segment one, the Zags have lost a player. Will Graves has entered the transfer portal. He does not appear to be intending to return back to Gonzaga for his final season of eligibility. A reminder, Will Graves is a grad transfer at this point. He spent one year playing at Lane Community College in Eugene, Oregon, next to his dad, Kelly Graves, who has, of course, been the coach of the women's basketball program at the University of Oregon for a very long time. He then transferred to Gonzaga, has been on the Gonzaga roster for the last three years. So he is now a grad transfer. Not that he wouldn't have been eligible immediately anyway, because that's how college basketball works these days, is you can transfer and play right away. I'm very interested in this. I've kind of wanted for a long time, I've wanted to see one of Gonzaga's walk-on players go play somewhere else. It's always been something I've wanted to see. I know that I spoke with Vinny Saglimbeni, who is the editor-in-chief of the Gonzaga Bulletin, uh, the student newspaper. He wrote a fantastic article about Matthew Lang earlier this year. I brought him on about a week later. We talked about that article. And one of the things that Lang mentioned was the potential to use his extra year of eligibility to go play somewhere. I don't know if Matthew Lang is going to do that. For the record, I'm not trying to break that news on the show. He may, he may not. I, I don't know. But Will Graves is. Graves has made the decision to go to transfer somewhere else. And my assumption, at least, is that he is going to go somewhere else with the opportunity to play more basketball than the opportunities he has received at Gonzaga, which is understandable. He has played 76 minutes in three seasons for the Zags. That is across 39 games. 
which is what you would expect. That's about two minutes per game in the games that he has appeared in, which is about 13 per year. So he appears in about one out of every three Gonzaga games and plays about two minutes. That is, again, the, the routine of players who are walk-ons, who are coming in at the very end of games. Their primary responsibility, uh, when they're on the court at least, is to try to get the fans tacos. Will Graves was pretty good about that. He took 23-pointers in his career. He made seven of them. That's 35%. There are a lot of very, very good players who have come through Gonzaga who have not shot 35% from three. Obviously, this is a sample size. This is kind of nonsense. It's not entirely relevant, but... I think Will Graves could probably be a good outside shooter for another basketball program, whether it's D2, whether it's a lower level D1 program, a mid-major school, uh, you know, outside of the WCC, perhaps he goes to a WAC school or he looks somewhere else. Again, he's got, he's got endless amount of options, but I'm very, very fascinated to see what happens here. I think this dude, I mean, he, he was a very good player at the community college level. He's big. Some of Gonzaga's walk-ons have been, undersized let's put it politely uh graves is not he's a he's a decently big dude he's a good athletic guard he can really shoot it like i think he's got the potential to really contribute somewhere next season i'm really interested to see where that happens obviously oregon is is a school to be connected here because his dad is still the coach at at the university of oregon obviously i i don't really see that as a fit i don't think oregon is going to give him a scholarship they may offer him a spot as a walk-on but i don't I'm guessing that's not what Will is interested in. I, I don't know. I don't have any any specific intel on his interests, but my my suspicion is that he wants to go somewhere where he can play for his final year of eligibility. And I don't. That's obviously not at Gonzaga, and I don't think that that's going to happen at Oregon either. Next up, Sierra Walker has officially entered the WNBA draft. This is procedural more than anything else. Uh, she was a fifth year senior last year. She spent three years at uh, Vanderbilt before she played at Gonzaga. So she had. Had el- she did not have any more eligibility. Uh, there was a list of 88 WNBA, or excuse me, 88 college basketball players who have entered the WNBA draft. Uh, some of them w- would have had another year of eligibility and opted not to take it. Walker is not in that situation. She does not have any more eligibility, regardless. Uh, she's a fantastic shooter. She was a really, really good three-point shooter at Gonzaga. She hit nine threes in a game this year, which is a remarkable accomplishment, something that has been matched on the men's side by a handful of players. Corey Kisper did it. Kevin Pangos did it. I believe Dan Dickow did it. That is it. Uh, and I believe it was the first time it has happened on the women's basketball side as well. So Sierra Walker, very, very good player, very good shooter. I would be surprised if she was a WNBA player, but I'm also not going to pretend that I am an expert on the WNBA draft and kind of what the roster needs are for those teams. I am hoping to get more into the WNBA and more into women's basketball in general. It is something that I think I have room to grow in as somebody who covers this team and this program, but uh, i would venture a guess that Sierra Walker is probably not going to play in the WNBA, but it's cool that her name is on the list and maybe she will get an opportunity to play for a team, uh, to get signed by a team, to try out for a team, something along those lines. Obviously there are lots of lucrative opportunities to play professional basketball overseas, uh, something that has drawn a lot of attention recently that those players over there often get paid significantly better than their counterparts in the WNBA. So should she want to pursue a professional career, which the fact that she put her name in the draft leads me to believe that she does, uh, she may have an opportunity to do that, if not in the United States, somewhere else. Uh, What else this means is that nobody else from Gonzaga put their name in the WNBA draft. Uh, there's there there's a there's a deadline that has not officially crossed yet, so there's a possibility that some other players could do so. The most notable name in my mind is Melody Kempton. Uh, she has another year of eligibility. 
Uh, so she could stay. She could come back. She could play again for the Zags. Uh, she was a huge part of their team last year, 11.6 boards. Uh, they're kind of their stalwart down in the paint, a very, very good low post score. They ran a lot of the offense through her this season. So that's something I'm watching very closely. If they get both the Tron twins and Melody Kempton back, and they had a lot of young girls on that roster this past season who are developing and getting better and better, this could be a really dangerous team next year. Sierra Walker's a tough loss, a good outside shooter. They need to find somebody to replace her. But if they're able to do that and you see some growth from some of the younger underclassmen on the roster, I think this could be – I always believe in Coach Fortier. I think she does a phenomenal job, and they've, this team has continued to be successful even after losing tons and tons of talent over the last couple of years. They continue to rebuild and reload, and I have no doubt they'll continue to do that, especially if they can get somebody like Kempton back in the fold. And then the last thing I want to talk about in this segment was just a, a quote from an article written by Jim Meehan of the Spokesman Review regarding Drew Timmy. Drew Timmy basically said he doesn't let money impact his decisions with regards to his future uh, as a potential Gonzaga basketball player or going professional. I'm I'm not entirely sure that this means anything in, ter- in terms of one way or the other. Certainly you could read it as, well, if he's not as concerned about money, then he's probably not going to leave early to go try to play in the NBA but again, he also has the ability to make money here at, at Gonzaga. He made a lot of money this past year through NIL deals with Dollar Shave Club, uh, with T-Mobile, with the casino. He, he's, he's had a lot of opportunities to make money. He is making money right now. So it's understandable that money at the next level may not be as big of a concern for him because it's not like he is completely broke right now as a Gonzaga student. This is why the NIL rules change so much of this conversation for guys like Drew Timmy. Drew Timmy is an endlessly fascinating case to me with regards to his future. I've, I've brought it up so many times on this show, and I will continue to bring it up until he makes a decision. And even then, we will discuss his decision at length on the show because he doesn't have anything left to prove in college. Most of the time, when you don't have anything left to prove in college, you're not likely going to come back. But he doesn't have the he he hasn't done enough to really wow NBA scouts to be a, a, a draft pick. I don't think he would get selected if he were to declare for the NBA draft. There's only 58 picks this year. Uh, two picks were eliminated because of a collusion issue in the NBA, so they took away two second round picks. He's not going to be one of the 58 guys picked. I'd be very very surprised. Doesn't mean he wouldn't get signed. He would probably get a, a summer league invitation if he played well there. Maybe a team would give him a two way contract or at least assign him to a G League squad. All that could happen. But all that could also happen if he were to come back and play another year. It's an interesting case. I don't know what Drew Timmy is going to do. I I promise you I will tell you if I find out what Drew Timmy is going to do. You'll probably all learn at the same time as me. Uh, But I think it's a really interesting case, especially now with NIL, with how popular he is and charismatic he is and how much money he is able to bring in because of that. He's a really interesting kind of case study for the NCAA and what this could potentially do and how this could potentially keep some of their top tier athletes, some of their most notable faces staying in college for extra time. All right, we're going to come back in the second segment. We're going to talk about some names Gonzaga has been connected to in the transfer portal, what it says about the staff's goals. But before we get there, let's talk about today's sponsor, Athletic Greens. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted to see what the hype was about. Now I've been on it for about three weeks and I love it. It doesn't taste like it's super healthy. It kind of has this like mild tropical taste that I actually look forward to every morning. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens that help start your day right. 
This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery, focus, and aging. All of the things. There is so much to love about Athletic Greens. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good. It supports better sleep quality and recovery. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. And Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews and has been recommended by professional athletes. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com college. Again, that is athleticgreens.com college to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Today's episode is also sponsored by Stat Hero. Stat Hero's NCAA single game pickums pits the star players against each other in an amazing hybrid between fantasy and sports gambling. Take control back from those handicappers that always seem to have the advantage. Start focusing on the players you know best with a gameplay that doesn't rely on big spreads, long odds, or funky props. Stat Hero gives you the advantage, resulting in their gamers winning four times more often. Why? Because Stat Hero eliminates the mystery about who or what you are going up against. In addition to their pick'em games, they also have dozens of lineups you can comb through to take on head-to-head. They simply post sets of players for you to take on with a set of players you choose. Stat Hero is the easiest and fastest way to get your sports action fixed. The Simple Sleep gameplay will have you playing in minutes. This is what daily fantasy was meant to be. Sign up for free right now at stathero.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on for a 100% deposit match. That's stathero.com slash locked on. Use promo code locked on for a 100% match. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, moving away. I'm talking about Will Graves and Sierra Walker and their decisions to move on from Gonzaga, or at least in Graves' case, his decision, Sierra Walker, we knew, would be out of eligibility. I want to talk instead about the transfer portal. It has been the hot topic of conversation uh, on Twitter the last couple of days, really. It's probably going to be the hot topic of conversation for a very long time uh, as Gonzaga looks to reshape their roster. Uh, right now, it's we're in an interesting spot because we don't exactly know the team's needs. And frankly, that is what has led to a lot of players that Gonzaga is targeting not choosing to come to Gonzaga. And I understand that. We, we talked a little bit about Anthony Black and his decision to not come to Gonzaga. He was a high-profile recruit, top 20 in his class. McDonald's All-American opted at the what seems to be the last minute to choose to go to Arkansas. Who knows how last minute that decision really was. But at the end of the day, you're looking at a roster that if, if multiple players come back, there's not a need for a high-level starter on this Gonzaga team. You could reasonably argue that all of Gonzaga's starters are already on the roster if Drew Timmy comes back, if Julian Strother comes back. You have a potential lineup of Timmy, Watson, Strother, Salas, and Hickman. Dominic Harris is in that conversation as well. You could argue that six of your eight rotation players are set just like that. Now, we don't know what Drew Timmy is going to do. We do not know what Julian Strother is going to do. We expect that Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman are coming back. I'm very confident that they are, but it is not a 100% guarantee for anybody on the roster. Puts them in a pretty interesting spot. 
Two key players that Gonzaga were interested in, Sky Clark and Fardaz Amak. Two really, really good players. Clark is a decommit from Kentucky. Amak is a Utah Valley big man. He's in the transfer portal. Both those players have listed their top schools. Gonzaga is not on either list. Sky Clark, USC, Louisville, Tennessee, Maryland, Illinois, and the University of Washington. I just, for me, I, I don't know how interested Gonzaga was in Clark. They'd showed interest in him before he committed to Kentucky. So it stands to reason they were still interested in him when he decommitted. Uh, there was a lot of people connecting the dots with Nolan Hickman and him also decommitting from Kentucky and coming to Gonzaga. It, it's more of a coincidence than anything else. But it makes me wonder if Gonzaga either didn't pursue him super heavily because they felt confident in the guards that they do have, or if they did speak to him and he was looking for the opportunity to be a one and done, he wanted to come in, start right away, play a lot of minutes. I don't know. I'm not, I don't want to assume that those are, that's how he feels necessarily, but Gonzaga has two guys that they feel pretty confident could be starters. I mean, they have three guys that they feel pretty confident could be starters next year. I don't want to not include Dominic Harris in that conversation. Those three guys are going to fight for two spots but there's still a need for more players. Amac is a different different story. He's a big man, averaged 14 rebounds per game last year, shot 43% from three. I love this guy. I would love, love, love him in a Gonzaga uniform, a dude who can rebound that well, who's a decent shot blocker, who can shoot threes. It would be fantastic to see him in a Zags uniform. He listed his top five, his top five, Iowa, Kentucky, Arkansas, Texas Tech, and then those dang Huskies from the University of Washington on this list as well. Shout out Mike Hopkins, who is obviously very aggressive in trying to get high-level talent to come to Montlake and join the team in Seattle. I wonder for AMAC, I had heard that there was some interest, uh, that, that both sides had some interest. Now he doesn't list them in his top five. There's, there's a thousand reasons that could be. But one of them, one of the pretty key reasons is belief that Drew Timmy is returning. Does not mean that Mark View has said, hey, Drew Timmy's coming back. Sorry. I doubt, 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 doubt that that's what happened. But if IMAC gets the belief that Timmy's coming back, that they're going to have Timmy, Watson, Ben Gregg, Caden Perry, Braden Huff, that's a lot of dudes in the front court. And for AMAC, like he wants to be the man. Like he averaged 19 and 14 at Utah Valley. He's he does he wants to come in somewhere and be a high-level starter at a power five or comparable program like Gonzaga. I don't blame him for wanting that at all. If he doesn't feel like that's going to happen at Gonzaga, that's probably not the right fit for him. And that's okay. And that's kind of what the larger conversation that I want to have here. The Zags should and seem to be pursue almost every single transfer that is good. Every good player out there should get a call from Gonzaga. Every single one of them. Does not matter whether it's a position that the Zags have a need at or not. Why wouldn't you want to add the best players to your roster? Now, this is what I said on Twitter, and there was some pushback and some conversation about it. I want to clarify a few things. One, the, I'm, I'm saying Gonzaga should call every single one of these players. I'm not saying that they should heavily pursue or offer scholarships to every single one of those players. That would be ludicrous. They don't have enough room to do that. But what I mean is you have to get a sense of what kind of situation these players want to find themselves in. And of course, players can fib and lie and whatever. But if you're a guy who is transferring from another power five and you're, you're wanting to go into a situation where you're going to get more playing time, you're going to be the man, you're going to you know play 30 minutes a night or whatever. There are a lot of schools out there that are going to take that guy and say, look, we're going to take you. We're going to focus, focus our offense around you. We're going to run everything through you. You're going to be the dude. Gonzaga's not that. They're not looking for that kind of player on the on the transfer portal. 
They're just not. They have enough dudes already right now. And that's even, I mean, obviously if Strother leaves and Timmy leaves, then yeah, you got some more holes to fill and you might look for somebody who's a little bit more impactful, who's willing, who wants to come in and play 30 plus minutes per night. But if we're assuming those guys come back, we're assuming that we're looking for more of the fringe rotation players. That doesn't mean that Gonzaga should not pursue every every really good player that's on the portal. Some of them are not going to be looking for that situation. That's fine. Then you hang up. You move on to the next guy. Gonzaga has had an incredible amount of success in their transfer portal usage recently. And this is why when I see people who are like, oh, like, would Mark Few be able to turn that guy around? Would he want to come here? Like, if he doesn't want to come here, they won't pursue him. They... They rarely miss. They have missed before on transfers. It is not, they're not 100%. Gerard Coleman, which was a long time ago, Providence transfer, he came in, he didn't fit at all. It was just, it was not a good fit. He's not a bad kid. It just, it wasn't a good fit. Angel Nunez, he'd been at a couple different schools. He came to Gonzaga. He wasn't a fit at all. He, he barely played. He didn't seem super thrilled about not playing very much. He ended up leaving after a year. It happens. It happens. But recently, recently, since the Eric McClellan days, Byron Wesley, Jordan Matthews, Gino Crandall, Rasir Bolton, the Admon Gilder, Ryan Wolf, we can go on and on. They have had a tremendous amount of success. And that doesn't mean that they will not make a mistake. You never know. They certainly could. But I, I think that casting a super wide net, talking to as many good players as you possibly can, finding the guy, the best player that you can find, we'll, we'll stick with guards, the best guard that you can find who is aware that he's coming into a situation where there's already three dudes in Harris and in, in, uh, Salas, excuse me, and in Hickman, three dudes who are already going to play and you're coming in and you're competing with those three guys for playing time. Find the best dude who is hungry to do that. If he beats those guys out and plays over them, great. Then the Zags have a ton of depth. If he doesn't and he's still fourth on the depth chart, great. They have a dude who's hungry, who's ready to go, who's willing to step up into a bigger role. Think about Aaron Cook. Aaron Cook came to Gonzaga with the expectation that he would be the third guard. It'd be Jalen Suggs, it would be Joel Iai, it would be Aaron Cook. Dominic Harris was competing for that third guard spot, ended up getting pushed out. But then like three days before the season, Andrew Nembhard was deemed eligible. And that that pushed everybody back. That pushed Aaron Cook to the fourth guard role, it pushed Dominic Harris down. I'm sure it was frustrating at some level for both of those guys. I don't blame them if they were a little frustrated. Obviously, Cook decided to transfer as opposed to going professionally or as opposed to staying at Gonzaga. Went to Georgia, became the man over there, averaged like 15 points and six or seven assists. He had a great season. Hats off to him. But he was brought in with the understanding of like he was never going to start. He didn't come here expecting to start. I mean, maybe he wanted to, but he knew what he was up against. He knew who Joe Eliyai was. He knew who Jalen Suggs was. And so he still adapted. He then, he, you know, he came off the bench and he played such a critical role for Gonzaga. Like people look at him as a role player and think that he was necessarily content with coming into that role. I'm sure he worked really hard to try to start for this team. Gino Crandall, same thing. Obviously he had injuries, which is unfortunate, but he didn't come here knowing like, oh, I'm never going to start over Josh Perkins. I don't think that was his mentality. Maybe we'll get him on the show sometime and talk to him and see what he thinks. But like you come in ready to work. You just know, you got to know who you're going up against. And so for me, Mark Few and the Zags, they're going out, they're having these conversations. They're trying to find the people who fit those conversations the best, whether it's, you know, Andre Cobello, who was the huge topic of conversation today on Twitter, Illinois point guard, top 50 recruit. The Zags are known to be interested. He's Puerto Rican. He played with Julian Strother in their national team events. There's some reasons that this makes sense. Now, Cabela is also 
really just been disappointing in his collegiate career so far. He played 19 minutes per game last year. He averaged seven and a half points, 3.2 assists, and 2.8 turnovers, which is very gross. He shot under 20% from three, which is also gross. There is some reason that he's not necessarily a good fit just performance-wise. There's also some reason to believe that Gonzaga would probably maximize his skills more than Illinois is doing. Gonzaga has taken players who were more turnover-prone and less good three-point shooters and turned them into better shooters, better passers, better facilitators. I mean, Andrew Nempard is a better player than Curbelo. I don't want to necessarily compare them straight across, but Nempard had turnover issues at Florida, and he was an okay but not great three-point shooter. And this past year, he turned in the highest three-point percentage of his career and the lowest turnover rate of his career. Gonzaga can make changes to these guys if they're willing to do it. If Curbelo's not willing, then you move on to the next. But there's no reason to not make that phone call, is my primary point. Zags are interested in two other guys that I've seen. I'm not going to be able to cover every single player that Gonzaga has made a phone call to. If there's a player that you want me to talk about that you think the Zags are interested in that you haven't heard me talk about, I'll probably do segments about the transfer portal well, once or twice a week at least. I just shoot a note to me on Twitter at ScoreZagScore or email AndyPatton013 at gmail.com. I'm happy to try to talk to a lot of these guys. I love talking about transfers and potential fits, but there's going to be a lot of them. <laughs> I don't know if we can get to all of them. The other two outside of Curbelo is East Carolina transfer Tristan Newton, who has been reached out to by basically every program in the NCAA. Uh, not surprising, he averaged 17 and a half points, five assists, five boards, and one and a half steals for East Carolina last year. Uh, six foot five combo guard, not a great outside shooter. Uh, Evan Miawa, who is a phenomenal follow on Twitter. If you don't follow him, he also has his own website, Evan Mia. Uh, E-V-A-N-M-I-W-A, or excuse me, M-I-Y-A.com. Definitely check out his website. It's fantastic. He ranks every player in the transfer portal. Uh, he actually had Newton down at 95th for players who are currently in the transfer portal, which was a little surprising to me considering all the attention he has received. But again, he's a small, small school guard who was the primary scorer at his team. The Zags have found that guy before in Crandall and Ryan Woolridge and have turned them into very successful players. So it makes some sense. The last one is South Carolina transfer Jermaine Kuznard. Kuznard is 41st in Evans' transfer portal rankings. He's also a six foot five combo guard. Uh, he averaged 12 points, three and a half assists last year. Every <laughs> All those same schools that are interested in Newton are showing interest in Kuznard as well. Um, he's also only a 33% shooter. So there's a lot of similarities between him and Newton. Leads me to believe the Zags are out looking for a guard. Makes sense for me that they would be pursuing more of a point guard and less of a combo guard, which is why this is a little bit surprising. The only true point guard on the roster next year, assuming Nembhard leaves, is Nolan Hickman. Makes sense to have a backup one as opposed to a backup two, but perhaps the, the staff thinks Dom could be the primary backup ball handler. I'm not sure exactly what it means, but it's interesting to see where Gonzaga is going with the, with the transfer portal. Like I said, I think they're just casting a wide net. They're talking to as many guys as they can. I think that's what they should do, and I'm happy to continue to report on it because I think it's really fun. I think the transfer portal is very fun, and I'm excited to see how this ends up shaking out. It will probably not have a lot of resolution until we know for certain which players are staying and going on this Gonzaga roster. All right, two segments down. We're going to talk baseball in the final segment of the show, we're going to preview Gonzaga's series against a very good Pepperdine team. But before we get there, let's talk about Bilt Bar. This is the time of the year that I've pretty much given up on all of my New Year's resolutions. But not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right thanks to Bilt Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating them. Have you tried the puffs? 
If you haven't, you're missing out on one of Built Bar's best tasting bars. Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy, they're not just a protein bar, they're a treat. And they're covered in 100% real chocolate. In fact, all Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. A typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. They have mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, and new for this month, white chocolate cookies and cream. They are all delicious and new flavors are coming out all the time. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, segment three, facility patents still locked on Zags. We're switching over to talk baseball. I'm hoping to do this at least once a week, probably on Thursdays as we preview the upcoming weekend series for the Zags. We will talk more about the baseball team as their season continues to go on because they are really freaking good. Currently, the Gonzaga baseball team is 16-6 and six on the season. The baseball Division I baseball uses RPI, which is a number that will be familiar to Gonzaga fans as we have used it uh, in the past to determine how good Gonzaga's basketball program is. Gonzaga's baseball team currently has the number five RPI in the country. That, my friends, is very, very good. The schools ahead of them are Dallas Baptist, Tennessee, Texas, Oregon, and the Zags. On a side note, Dallas Baptist being the obvious exception here because they are just a a small school baseball powerhouse. It's so fun to see Gonzaga's name next to schools like Tennessee and Texas and Oregon, these blue blood power five powerful schools, you know, the big, big name programs, big football schools, you know, for the most part, good basketball programs, Oregon was spotty last year, but for the most part, these are like schools that dominated most sports and the Zags are just always still there. They're just always in that conversation in so many different sports. They had a great soccer program this year. They've had some success in volleyball. Uh, The women's basketball program is obviously very good. And now you got your baseball team that is still in these conversations with teams like Texas and Tennessee and Oregon. And it's just awesome. It's just so great. The, The national conversation is not revolving around how, oh, Gonzaga's baseball team is also good. Most of the national people are still trying to push down the basketball team. But at the end of the day, this this athletic program is really, really good. They're good at almost every single sport out there. And the sports that they're still struggling in, they're getting better. They're getting better. Money helps. Obviously, the basketball program has helped bring in a lot of money. There have been some very helpful, you know, generous donors over the years as well. But it is fantastic to see all of these programs elevating themselves to a really, really high level in the West Coast Conference. Speaking of the West Coast Conference, the Zags are taking on the Pepperdine Waves at Patterson Baseball Complex, the Spokane home, the home of Gonzaga in Spokane. The Waves are one game behind Gonzaga in the WCC standing. So this is a big weekend for these two teams, whichever team takes the series, will have a lead in the WCC standings going into the next week in April. This is going to be a fun matchup if you like pitching duels. I know a lot of people like to see a lot of home runs and a lot of runs scored. This is probably not the weekend for that. These two teams are really, really good on the bump. Pepperdine's got three guys who I expect to start, Brandon Llewellyn, Trevor Hinkle, and Dane Morrow. These guys are good. Llewellyn's got a 2.63 ERA, 1.14 whip. Uh, he's not a big strikeout guy, so expect a lot of contact, a lot, expect the Zags to put the ball in play a ton, which is fun. He's only got 22 strikeouts in 36 innings. 
I believe he is their Friday starter. And then Hinkle is going to start on Saturday, 288 ERA, whip under one, which means he's really good at limiting base runners. Uh, he's also got 26 strikeouts. And then Morrow, not having as successful of a year. Hopefully that gives the Zags a chance to win on Sunday. He's got an ERA just under six and 21 strikeouts on the year. Good pitching staff. Doesn't even compare to Gonzaga's pitching staff, though, because the Zags have an incredible three-game, three starting, th incredible three starting pitchers. Sorry, I'll try that again. Gabriel Hughes, Tristan Vreeling, and then William Kempner is hurt, as I understand it. I do not have an update on when he is going to be healthy. Uh, he's only started three games this year. The last three starts have gone to Owen Wilde. Owen Wilde has been really good filling in as the Sunday starter for the Zags. He's got a 2.28 ERA and 25 strikeouts in 23 innings. Meanwhile, Hughes continues to be one of genuinely one of the best pitchers in all of college baseball. He's been fantastic this season, four and one record, 2.43 ERA whip as 0.84, which is remarkable. That would probably lead the MLB if you were to post that for a full season at that level. He's also got 56 strikeouts in 37 innings, which basically just means he's mowing opposing teams down, just mowing them down with ease. And then you have Reeling, who's having a fantastic season as well. 2.61 ERA, 54 strikeouts in 38 innings. So honestly, not that far off from Hughes. Hughes is getting all of the national attention. He's showing up on draft boards. He's the guy that people are talking about. But Reeling is really, really good too. He had 13 strikeouts in five innings earlier this year against Oklahoma. A fantastic player. Those two guys are going to have really, really good starts this weekend. And Pepperdine's guys are probably going to have good starts too. So it's going to be Close games, I'm expecting some two-to-one scores, three-to-two scores, something like that. Should be really, really fun. And then the last thing I want to say on the baseball staff or on the baseball team, they are playing Washington State on Tuesday of this upcoming week at Patterson Baseball Complex in Spokane. Tuesday games are so fun. <laughs> I want to throw this out there for those people who are just trying to get into baseball or maybe you know do watch college baseball but don't necessarily go to games or aren't super familiar with how the schedule works. Basically every week, or most weeks for the season, you play Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You have one game on Tuesday, and then you redo it again the next week. So it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, repeat. That's generally the schedule. Those Tuesday games are usually non-conference games, or almost always non-conference games. Again, this one is Washington State. Gonzaga hosted Oregon last week for their first home game of the season. That was a Tuesday game. They'll play, they'll, they'll likely play, they'll play Oregon State on a Tuesday game. I think they're playing Oregon down in Eugene for a Tuesday game. That's just kind of what the schedule looks like. I know like when I used to work at the University of Portland, they played Seattle U on a Tuesday every single year. Like it's just kind of a, a, a way for these teams to get an extra game in so they don't go five days between Sunday and Friday before their next game. Tuesday games are a blast. If you, I don't know how many students listen to this show, but if you are a student or you live in Spokane, and you can get to a Tuesday game this season, the first one, April 5th, Tuesday, 6 p.m., Patterson Baseball Complex. I highly recommend going. Tuesday night games are such a blast. I will be going to a game on Tuesday as well as the University of Portland playing Oregon State in Hillsborough, about 15 minutes from my house. So I'm going to be at that game instead of this game. But I highly encourage anybody who can make it to a Tuesday night baseball game to do so because they are so much fun. All right, folks, that is going to do it for me today. Closing out the week on Friday with another season in review episode. So don't miss that right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Thank you again to those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen every day. Now is a great time to make your second listen, the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. 
With college basketball season wrapping up, Raphael Barlow and a flurry of guests prepare for the NBA draft. Hear their thoughts on Chet Holmgren, Paolo Bancaro, and the rest of the NBA's future stars on Locked On NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.